Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you all this morning. There's nothing like the family of God, right? God is so good. Um, just to let you know that um, Pam and I will be leaving this afternoon. Tomorrow night, we are going to be on Andrew Womack's podcast. And so he's got a huge outreach. He and, um, and some other pastors, I had the privilege of serving with them on the Faith Advisory Council for Heidi Ganahl. And um, so we got to know each other that way. And he just would like us to share our story. And so there's a large outreach there, and it's a great opportunity and a great relationship. So if you want, you can go on truthandliberty.net tomorrow, and we'll be on at 6 o'clock and just praying that Jesus Christ will be glorified, right? we got an amazing story here to the faithfulness of God and how good he is. And so I'm so grateful to the Lord. My heart is full actually, when we think about the Lord Jesus. You know, tonight is something special that's going to be happening around the world, and you might not be aware of it, but tonight is the first evening of Hanukkah. So we find out that Jews around the world in Israel and those who are part of the diaspora spread around the world will be spending a very special night. Tonight, it's a sacred night. It's not a night of fasting. It's the beginning of eight days of celebration of a miracle that God had done for the nation of Israel. You're not going to find the story of this miracle in the Old Testament. It's not commanded by the Old Testament to be observed, but Jesus observed it. We find that the nation of Israel was celebrating it, and Jesus chose to walk for three days just to be at the site where this miracle happened to explain who he is. So tonight they light the candle because in the Jewish tradition, according to the book of Genesis, it says this, when God was making the the heavens and the earth, we find out that the Lord said the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning. So the Jews believe a day begins in the evening and then it's the following day. It begins after the sun sets. And some people observe it as when the first star can be seen in the sky, that that is the beginning of the new day. So they will be lighting these menorahs. We have one right here in their windows. Because the goodness of God is to be not just observed within the four walls, but to be declared so that people can know God does miracles in our lives. And that's our light. The miracles in the story of what God has done for us is our light. So that's what we're going to be looking at today in the celebration of Jesus and the coming of the light into the world. Hanukkah is a festival of lights. Often people call Christmas a festival of lights or a season of lights. And so there's a great blending. But what I want us to do today is turn in our Bibles to John chapter 10, starting to read in verse 22. And let's look at what Jesus said on this very special day of the festival of lights. Now, Hanukkah actually means dedication. So you're going to find out that in this passage, this Hanukkah festival season of lights is actually the Feast of Dedication. And you're going to read about that in John chapter 10, verse 22. John 10, 22. It says this, At that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. 
And Jesus is walking in the temple area, in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then surrounded him and began saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? You are the Christ, tell us plainly. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord today. And I, I pray, Lord, that we could receive it. I pray that the revelation of Jesus would come. Let faith rise up in every heart today. I pray that everyone would know the true meaning of this season where we remember the birth of the child in the manger, the Son of God who became flesh. Father, show us the revelation of who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'd like to do is if I could come down here for just a moment and explain what we have in front of us here today. You're going to notice, obviously, that there are nine candles now, this is different from the menorah that was found in the temple that stood before the holiest place of all, where the Ark of the Covenant was. That candelabra, commanded by the Lord on the revelation of Mount Sinai, had seven lamps. This one is different because it has nine. And I'd like to just explain that to us today. You'll notice that of the nine, one is a prominent candle and it actually sits above the rest. So one is distinct from the other eight and eight is a part of the story. Now let me just explain this story to you. In 168, 167, Israel found itself in a very trying position. They found themselves under a Greco-Syrian rule, and the emperor's name was Antiochus. You might have heard him referred to as Antiochus Epiphanes, because Epiphanes returned is a, is a name that means one who hears from the gods. So this man is a leader, and he's strong, and he's powerful and influential. Israel comes under this Greek rule. Something happened in 168, 167 because Antiochus Epiphanes decided that there's not going to be any worship of Jehovah, the God of the Jews. He was going to force the Jews to violate their conscience and to give themselves over to the bowing of their knees to false gods, the Greek gods. In order to do this, he has to corrupt the very center of their worship, which is the temple. And so what did he do? He went into the temple and he dedicated the temple to the god Zeus. Now imagine how this was for the Jewish people. It was devastating. But up until the, the exciting part of the story, everyone in the entire nation was afraid to take a stand 
against Antiochus. There was too much to lose. So what he did to dedicate the temple to Zeus was he actually sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple to desecrate it and hopefully disqualify it as a house of worship to Jehovah forever. Well, he wasn't just content with that. Wasn't just content with, with um, requiring them to bow their knees to gods, to defiling the temple. He wanted every expression of Judaism to be illegal. Everything that the Bible commanded them on how they are to live would carry with it the penalty of death if you practiced it. So you can imagine how terrifying that was. Okay, so you could have said, well, fortunately, we don't live in Jerusalem, so all the trouble is staying there. But that wasn't enough for Antiochus. He sent his Greek troops and his officers to go to every town in the nation of Israel, requiring them to bow their knees to the Greek gods, forbid the practice of their faith at the penalty of death, and requiring them to not, to not worship God or to focus on the temple anymore. Not only did he go to the smallest towns, he even went to some places where the people were dwelling in caves. There was a complete, every person, necessity has to comply with the wishes of Antiochus. And so what happened is they came to a little town, and it's called Modi'in. And you can find Modi'in outside of Jerusalem on your map today. And so as they came to this town, there was a Greek officer that was there. When he came into that town, this town was going to respond not like the other towns. Because in that town, there was a priest, and his name was Mattathias. And Mattathias had decided, I'm drawing the line here. Now listen, small guy, small town, you would think that that stand would make no difference, but it had a tremendous impact. Gave courage to the hearts of the people. And then what happened is he decided that he was not going to bow his knee to this Greek officer and worship their gods. And he also refused to eat the pork that he was requiring them to eat. As even is said, according to tradition, that then he was advised, well, just take the pork and touch it to your lips and pretend as though you're eating it and that would be good enough. And he refused to do that as well. Well, there was another movement that was going on in the nation of Israel as well among the Jews. And that was, there was a Hellenism, a Hellenistic or uh, uh, the Jews embracing Greek culture. So these were the Jews that had become very secular in their approach to life. And they're thinking, well, let's just bow our knees to the Greeks. Let's just do what they want. We know we're Jews. Let's just do what they want. Well, there was a man who actually rose up in the village. And on behalf of Mattathias, the priest, who wouldn't bow his knees, he offered to eat the pork. He was willing, as a follower of the Jewish faith, to compromise for that moment. And how powerful is that for Mattathias to realize that this man was willing to actually stand in his place? What happened? Mattathias became so enraged that this man would compromise that he drew his sword and he ran him through. At that moment then, everything broke loose. 
there was an uprising that happened that resulted in the sword being run through the Greek officer. And the townspeople all rose up and decided that they were going to take these soldiers down, and they did. They were either killed or they fled. Now, that's an amazing storage of courage and bravery, isn't it? When you think about it. What were the odds to stand against the emperor? Well, immediately, Mattathias and his five sons knew that they were in trouble and that it wasn't going to be tolerated. And Antiochus would certainly take their life. So what they decided to do, this family decided they were going to flee to the mountains. And there they would find a safe place. And from there, they would start a revolt. So when people had heard what had happened, other people who had decided, this has gone too far, joined them as well in the mountains. And as they joined together in the mountains, this became known as the Maccabean Revolt and the work of the Maccabees. What had happened for them is they finally found out that they had gotten victory over the entire country. God bless them. This is not a legend. This is Jewish history in 167. So we're talking about just the not very long before the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so all these people joined forces. They were given the victory and they decided in Jerusalem they're going to take their temple back. Now I just want to remind everybody that it had been dedicated at the sacrifice of a pig to Zeus. So they had to make an expression before the Lord to rededicate the temple back to God. The menorah was discovered, and they decided this is the way we're going to dedicate this to be the house of the Lord. We are going to relight the seven-branched menorah. It's not like this with nine. It only had the seven branches. But they only discovered one day's worth of oil. Only one day's worth of dedicated oil. Now you might say, well, maybe that buys them enough time to be able to start the process where that candle is never to go out, that lampstand before the Lord, but to always be burning in the temple. But there was a problem. It took eight days to produce dedicated oil to the Lord. In the book of Leviticus, it says this that it's not to be oil that is derived from olives that have been pressed, but it's to be oil that comes from olives that have been beaten. So what they would do is that they would beat the olives. And I, we all understand this, and I'm digressing for a moment, but the oil in the Bible is the picture of the Holy Spirit. And it just shows for us the price that needs to be paid for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And Christ paid that price. But in order to be able to beat the olives and to set them aside and let the oil ooze out and go through the process of dedication, it would take eight, take eight days to renew or to begin the supply of oil. So what we're finding out right here, though, is that the oil burned not just one day, though it was one day's supply of oil, it ended up burning eight days. And while the oil was being prepared for dedication, 
The miracle that happened is that God sustained the oil. God produced the light for the dedication. See, whenever you're obedient to the Lord, whenever you do what he's asked you to do, you can find yourself in impossible situations. And yet God is unlimited in all of his resources and what he can do. Our responsibility as followers of the Lord is to obedience. Provision belongs to God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. The provision belongs to the Lord. So every year, there is a celebration called Hanukkah, which is the feast of dedication that we just read about in John chapter 10, when the temple is dedicated to the Lord. Now I just want to talk about what happens this evening when the first star appears, what happens in the Jewish home. The first candle that is lit is called the shamash. What does shamash mean? It means helper. It means servant. What it means is that this candle that sits a little bit higher than the rest serves the other candles. Now what happens tonight is there will be the shamash that's sitting in the center and there will just be one candle here on the right side of the menorah. On the first day, tonight, they will take the shamash and they will light the first candle. Tomorrow evening, in celebration of the second day of the miracle, the shamash will be lit and it will light two of the eight candles. And obviously you know where this is going till they get to the end where all eight candles are lit on the eighth day of Hanukkah. Now when we think about this, I'd like to pause for just a moment to what the shamash would mean for us because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. You'll notice in this candelabra that the shamash sits higher than the rest. Now, according to Jewish tradition, they say it's very important for us to know that just because it sits higher doesn't mean it's more important than the rest. It is equal in value, but it has a place of preeminence. And so once the shamash has, has been lit, it becomes the servant to all the other candles. So you never light the first candle and then use the first candle to light the second and third of a, no, the shamash always has to be the source of light for each individual candle. Jesus uses this as a great example of saying, my sheep hear my voice. Those who believe in me. See, Christianity is not just a religious worldview or movement. It is individuals aligning themselves to the light of Jesus Christ. And it's a picture of each one of our responsibility of coming to the cross to receive what the servant has done for us. If we, we think about it, Jesus says, you know how the Gentiles rule. They lord over each other. 
But he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for the, these are the many. Jesus came for the many. See, he didn't come to just be expressing, I'm better than the rest of you. Listen, he is the Lamb of God. The whole, all of heaven's going to worship the preeminence of Jesus when they're there. But think about how Jesus walked on the earth. He came to reveal God as Father, but he came to us to be our brother. Jesus loved the title, the Son of Man. He didn't go around saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the anointed one. I'm the Messiah. You're not going to find that. He, he, was, he loved, not even though he was the Son of God, which is elevating, but he identified with the term, the Son of Man. He came to be one of us. He came not to have the preeminence of the inheritance of God and to get everything that God had for humanity. He came to gain the inheritance of God, and then he said to the rest of us, but I came to make you joint heirs with me, equal heirs with me, so that what I do, look how preeminent he was when he walked the earth. He said, the works that I do, you will do. And even greater works. There's this thing about Jesus that being the glory of heaven and all the angels praising him and yet delighting in the praises of his people, of you, when you come on a Sunday morning. And so this is an amazing picture of Jesus and the recalling of a miracle about how he will be there for those who are there for him. He will stand with those who stand with him. And that's what, this is a standing of people, right? Now, before they light the candles, and on the eighth day they always light from the left to the right, they speak four blessings. The first blessing is this, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to kindle the Hanukkah light. Then they say, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who performed miracles for our forefathers in this day, in those days at this time. Then the third blessing they speak is, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has granted us life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this occasion. So as they're lighting these candles, there just comes an awareness of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God to their forefathers. But even above that, there's an awareness that God is now the same God who sustains their life. So that when we think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he lived 2,000 years ago, we understand that, yes, he was the God, the Messiah, the Savior of our forefathers. 
But he's also the one, the very same one, who sustains our life. He is the one that is with us in the very same capacity that he was here 2,000 years ago. This, the power of this thing is that Jesus is willing to stand with all of us, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and nothing has ever changed. He's an eternal light that will never go out. And we share in the light of his glory. We share Jesus today. That's why in communion, it's so important for us to come into the house of the Lord with the reminder that I don't shine with my own light. I don't shine with my own righteousness. I don't shine with my own goodness, but I share in the goodness and in the light of Christ. This whole context of Jesus at the dedication, he was in the temple, in a religious system, and he's telling them, you all are missing it. You have to connect to me. I am the one, Jesus is declaring. And as we look at this great and amazing story, we understand today that Christ came, this is what's hard to believe. This is what, this is what couldn't be embraced in the upper room. When Jesus came to wash Peter's feet, Peter said, no, Lord, I should wash your feet. Jesus said to him, unless you let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, your identity has to be that you're lit by me, not you coming into your own worthiness. It's you discovering who I am. Listen, we, we're all on the pursuit of becoming better people. That's righteous. That's the, that's the sign of being a child of God. But do not let that focus cause to grow dim the understanding that we have been saved in order to discover the voice of Jesus and to do his will, to obey him in all things, not just rules and regulations and religious requirements, but true connectedness to the light of Christ that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ was beaten like those olives so that we could receive the oil of Christ so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and have a vital and bright relationship with God in this life. That in a dark world, we would shine brightly. It's all about the lights. Like I said earlier, the, the, the Jewish people are, are, are I, I can't say commanded, but it's strongly advised that this candle should be lit in the window so that the declaration of the goodness of God and of God's story is not just in our home. Yes, it lights our home, but it also lights the world. Yes. It's an amazing picture that we have here. It's an amazing picture of 
God's victory and God's power and God's ability that against all odds, the Lord is letting us know he will back you up just like he backs up his son because you are in Christ. So Jesus celebrated this festival as we read At this Feast of Dedication, Jesus went up in the winter, and I've been in Jerusalem in the winter. It can be cold. It's not Colorado cold like this morning, but it can be cold there. You know, some people actually believe that some of the significance of this can't be proven, but some people actually believe that Jesus was conceived on Hanukkah. If you have, were here when I showed an actual video of what happens at conception, that when the seed enters the egg, there's a flash of light. Remember seeing that? It's a physical flash of light inside the woman's body. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Right? Life and light. They're all connected in this story. And if Jesus, if we think about this, if this did represent the light of God being conceived on the earth, some of those same people believe then that he was born on the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't know completely how to do that math. But the thing is, is that in John chapter 1, it says, that we beheld his glory. It's talking about Jesus. That God became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it says in that John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. In other words, it's saying that he took on the tent. He wore the tent of being a human. That's why some people want to say that Jesus tabernacled when he was born. He took the tent of human flesh. But another thing, too, which is kind of interesting, is some people believe that the wise men showed up during the Feast of Lights or the Feast of Dedication. It was a means by which Jesus, it was being modeled that he was being dedicated to the Lord. I don't know about all of that. And that's just really interesting and fascinating. But at the end of the day, Jesus had determined, wait a minute, I'm living in a day like when the nation of Israel was under Antiochus. And under the rule of Antiochus, the Jews were feeling as though they weren't free to truly live their faith. And there was a man who just decided, I'm drawing a line in the sand. And he did, and he stood on that behalf. But at the end of the day, he was still just a man. He won a temporary victory, which was good for the nation of Israel. They lived to see another day. But then we also realize that Jesus is acknowledging the fact that Israel is once again under Roman rule. And they were hoping that Jesus would be their Mattathias that he would stand against Rome. 
So Jesus goes up to the temple where the miracle happened and they said to him, and it says the Jews said to him. Now, we understand that it's always in the context of Israel, so it's always the Jews. But when it talks about specifically here and in the book of Acts, when it refers to, and the Jews said, it's talking about the leaders of the Jewish people. The Jews said to him, stop the suspense. Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? Are you the next Hanukkah story? For us, are you gonna deliver us from Rome? Will you take a stand that's so powerful that God's gonna back us up and a huge revolt's gonna happen and then we're gonna take our nation back? They wanted to know, Jesus, who are you exactly? Who are you in a troubled world? What is our relationship to you? What do we have to do with you and what do you have to do with us? Who are you amongst the rest of us? If you are the Messiah, certainly you would have a place of preeminence. Certainly you would, are going to be obviously dwelling among us. You would be elevated. But what does your elevation look like? Jesus is wanting to establish in them. No, Rome it's gonna kill me. I'm gonna be high and lifted up. I'm gonna be the middle candle. But when I'm lifted up above the earth, it'll be on a cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. He said, if I am actually elevated on the cross because the Old Testament has said, cursed is every man who hangs upon the tree. If I am lifted up above the earth on a tree, on a cross, if I am lifted up, that'll be the means by which I will draw all men to myself. Jesus came to let them know, I might not look like a Mattathias, but I want you to know I am gonna be your victor. I am going to conquer, and it's not going to be just for the nation of Israel. It's going to be for all the nations of the earth. Yes. People will come to me from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. Yes. And I will be among my brothers, and yet the world will recognize that I am elevated. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes. It's amazing who this one who came to live among us. So it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple area in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then surrounded him and began saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. Jesus, tell us who you are. Make it plain. And Jesus says, look, it's already been plain. I've been walking among you. Jesus is saying, here's the problem. You haven't believed. Do you know what belief is? Belief is rooted in our intellect. And our intellect is so closely tied to our ego if we do not surrender, we will not see Jesus. Jesus said, my sheep hear me. 
I'm there for them. And I wanna speak to any individual today who says, I will believe who Jesus said he is when he shows me. And Jesus is saying, the root of the issue is not that you haven't seen. The root of the issue is that you won't see. You won't see me. I am to be seen, but you won't see me. And here's the principle of the kingdom of God, which is different than the kingdoms of this world. I'm not saying that you need to surrender your intellect and your smarts to believe in God. Because once you place your faith in him, it all makes sense. And it will feed even your intellect and your mind. But the truth is this, the first step is ours. We've got to trust, and we've got to believe. You won't walk on water in God's kingdom until you step out of the boat. Amen. You won't know until you surrender and say, I believe. And I'm telling you this as someone who's been in the ministry a long time. I've seen it time and time again. People just say, when it becomes perfectly clear to me, I will believe. But the truth of the matter is, the worldview you have fought, you're following right now has not completely answered all your questions and yet you still embrace it as your value system. But somehow when it comes to God, we say, nope, I gotta know everything. I, I need to know why kids are starving in Africa. And when that answer comes to me, then I'm gonna believe. But you know, we're all living according to a value system, and sometimes we even recognize the brokenness that our values and our bad choices are bringing into our lives, and yet we continue to walk in those, and yet we put a burden on Jesus that we don't put on anything else. And Jesus says, once the ego surrenders and embraces him, I'm telling you, there's people, I've seen it too many times, if you could explain to me this whole biblical idea of God creating everything in six days, then eventually some Sunday morning in church service, they surrender their life to Christ and they walk out here believing the entire book of Genesis. You know why? Because they had an encounter with an infinite God who can do anything. And they know that they know that they know if he could save someone like me, nothing is impossible. Jesus said, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. That just shows the sharing of the light. Jesus says, here's, here's how you know if you're one of mine. If you're a sheep that belongs to the shepherd, then you hear the voice of God. That's the only... The Apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter four. He says, if you're truly born again of Christ, you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby you begin to cry to God and say, Abba, Father, Papa, God. That's what defines a true believer, not religion, but the voice of God. I would ask you today, do you hear his voice? Oh, listen, everybody in this room is wanting to learn how to better hear the voice of God in a very noisy world. 
But if you come to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God will awaken you and you have a lot to learn about hearing his voice. And yet you begin the journey. And Jesus says this. Here's what he does for his sheep. I'll give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Three things. Let's not have grown so used to and accustomed to what Jesus has done for us that we forget. First off, he says, here's what I'm going to do for you. If you come to me and you let me light your life, I will give you eternal life. You will never, ever cease to exist because you share in the light of Christ. As long as the existence of Christ is, so will you be. For all eternity, without time, we will share in the glory and in the very existence and consciousness of Jesus. You will never lose consciousness. Maybe in this life, but for all eternity, you will always be aware of who you've been created to be and the love of God for you. That's eternal life. Eternal means without time, which also means without change. In other words, God's gonna bring you into that place where you are never going to change. You will instantly share in the glory of Jesus. The Bible says when we look on him, we will instantly become like him. We, we will be changeless in our nature. Not the struggle of change, but sharing in the glory of Christ. Then he, has, then he says, and you'll never perish. And you say, well, that sounds like the same thing. And, and Jesus is just saying, no, not only will you have eternal life, but in what God's gonna do for you when you go through the process of leaving this body, it will not be a perishing. Christians and non-Christians, there's many that are just afraid of the process of death. They know they're going to heaven, but they're afraid to die. And Jesus says, here's my promise to you. If you align with me, you will never face the fear of death. Because, like the Apostle Paul said, when you are absent from your body, boom, you're going to be present with the Lord. You're going to breathe earth's air, and your next breath will be heaven's air. You will only walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you will fear no evil because the Lord is going to be with you at your point of transition. Let's call it that. You will be holding the hand of Jesus. You will not, you will live forever and you will never experience the process of perishing. How amazing is that? And then, what else does he say? And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. No one's ever going to snatch you out of Jesus' hand. 
The Apostle Paul reveled in that in Romans chapter 8. There's no height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, things present, things to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Once you become one of the sheep of God, you're marked. When I was 22 years old, went down to Beersheba where Abraham, he would hang out there. And when I was there, I'd see these Bedouins and they would come in out of the desert. And all the sheep would get mixed up in the town. But they all had a different color dye on their backside. And no matter how much they got mixed up, you could still, still see what sheep belonged to which shepherd. And that's what God is saying to you. Listen, in this life, man, you can get really mixed up. You can start looking like the other sheep for a while. But the truth is this, is that you belong to Jesus. And nobody can take his ownership of you away from him. No one. And let me just reaffirm this as well. Even you can't remove yourself from the hand of Jesus. You're not powerful enough. You're not holding on to him. He's holding on to you. And he says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. You're in the hand of Jesus. You're in the hand of the father. And then Jesus said this, I and the Father are one. That's the ultimate story of the Shamash. Even though he's the son of man and he is our brother, but what makes him different from the rest is that he is one with the Father. This was not just any man born in a manger. This is God becoming flesh. It was not a man who told you that you were forgiven. It is God who told you that you were forgiven. It was not a man hanging on the cross that said the work for your salvation is finished. It was God that was hanging on the cross and declaring that the work for your salvation is complete. It's finished. It's done. And how do we get there? It's really simple. He said, believe. No, give me more. My religious predispositions require more. And Jesus says, here's the issue. Believe. Surrender to him. Come to him. If you believe, you'll know. You'll see. You'll understand. I want to invite everybody today to understand that Jesus looked like the other candles for all intents and purposes. The middle one doesn't have to be white. It could be, it could share in the colors of all the rest. But at the end of the day, if you you and I will embrace the one who looked like he was just a man and who died like he was just a man, But if we place our faith and understanding, after 2,000 years, this 
world is filled with people who are willing to follow him and this movement that he released upon the earth is still great and it's still powerful and it's still the same and Jesus Christ rose from the dead seated at the right hand of the God and he still burns brightly he can light up your life he can do the same powerful work that even as we read these blessings we understand that Jesus Christ the one who blessed our forefathers, who blessed all believers in the last 2,000 years, is here to bless you. Now, after they light this candle, I just want to read the song that they sing. Guess what the first line is? Rock of Ages. And it says this, Rock of Ages, let our song Praise thy saving power. Thou amidst the raging foes was our sheltering tower. Furiously they assailed us, but thine arm availed us. And thy word broke their sword. When our strength failed us, When our strength failed us, thy word broke their sword. Isn't that amazing? It's a great night tonight. It's gonna happen around the world and we can celebrate in it as well. I just wanna ask everybody, and let's just stand up this morning. Are you aligned with the Shamash? Have you aligned your life with Jesus? He's inviting you to come and just to share in his glory. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're here today and you need Jesus, would you just acknowledge, in, in, I'm, let me start over again. If you've never met Jesus as your savior, I wanna give an opportunity for you to respond and give your heart to him. We can close in a closing prayer. And if you're just saying today, I wanna meet Jesus, I want my sins forgiven. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and just saying I'm including myself in that prayer giving my heart to Jesus. And if you raise your hand, I'm gonna do one more thing. I'm gonna ask you to step out of your seat and come here to the front because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Let's come and let's be that light that's in the window and be a follower of Jesus Christ. I know I went over a little bit today, but if you need him today, this is so important. Bear with me for one moment. If you say, Pastor Jim, I want to be saved today and my sins forgiven, would you lift up your hand? Just acknowledging today, I want to know him without a doubt. I want to hear his voice and I want to do as well. Anyone here today? Amen. God, I just bless you. I pray bless these people. Bless this week. Bless their homes. Let today and this entire week and the new year be a celebration of Jesus. And I thank you for it, Lord, in your name. Amen. We'll have folks here standing in the front. If you need prayer for anything today, please come forward. They're here to pray for you. God bless you all. Thank you for coming. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website or your favorite podcast platform. Just look for Sermon of the Week, Cornerstone Christian Center. 
If you would like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.